Hello and welcome to Angular Air. This episode is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking for the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. On our panel today, we have Amy Knight. Hello. And Patrick J.S. Hi, guys. And today we have a special guest, uh, Ari Lerner. Hello. I think I might change my last name to J.S. too. <laughs> That'd be good. Um, Ari J.S. <laughs> that would be a really cool library. <laughs> I'm getting yeah. this Ari. <laughs> Cool, confuse it with Aria. Would you, would you use it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Aria. If only my last name started with an A. Right. <laughs> so today um, uh, we're going to talk about the best productivity tips with Angular, but uh, I want to give a couple quick announcements. Uh, if you have any questions during the course of the show that you want uh, Aria or um, anybody on the panel to answer, just post them to the hashtag NGAir. Hashtag NGAir. Um, our next show is going to be the 29th, which is our predictions show with the panel. And we also have a show just after the new year, January 5th, um, with Wesley Cho and Jesus Rodriguez talking about uh, how to become an open source contributor. For today, though, I'm really psyched uh, to talk about something that I actually love to talk about, you know, being productive as a developer. And uh, there's no one better to talk about this than Ari Lerner. So Ari, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself? and kind of a little bit about your background. Well, wow, that was quite, that was, that was a, I don't even know how to follow that up with English. It was great. <laughs> um, there's no one better to learn Angular 2 from. I can't, yeah, can't even say it any better than myself. That was great. So uh, I'll, I'll attempt, I'll attempt to give you a description of myself. Um, Let's see, I've been working in software since, I don't know, 1989, 1988, whenever the TI-89 came out. That's when I've been running software for a long time. Um, see, I live in San Francisco, although right now I'm in Phoenix with my, at my parents' house. Um, yeah, I wrote ng-book, ng-book. Um, currently in the process of finishing up ng-book 2. Uh, there's... Uh, I, I suppose we'll end up actually talking about that in more depth later today. Um, the rest of my time I kind of spend, uh, I spend teaching, teaching programming. I volunteer kind of uh, in and around San Francisco to teach people how to program, both um, professionally and uh, non-professionally. Um, yeah, uh, did I forget anything? I run NG Newsletter. Takes a lot of work. Um, and a dog. She's very cute. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, I, I guess to start off with, uh, I'd like to get your feeling on just uh, regardless of the technology. I mean, we're going to dive into uh, ng-book and ng-book 2 and your Angular 1 idea, uh, tips and Angular 2 tips. But I was curious to start off with just some of your more general guidelines that you teach other people and kind of um, your thoughts yourselves of how to be productive in terms of you know how to approach... Uh, learning new technology and, and really getting into uh, something that you may not know. Well, that's a big topic. Um, just in general, well, uh, don't use Word. Believe it or not, people try to write code in Word. Um, really? <laughs> really. Yeah. It's weird. 
I don't even know how to explain that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay, so probably like the, like a, a really high level uh, tip would be use as many keyboard shortcuts as possible. If you use a Mac, uh, Macs make it really easy. You just click on in the file menu and you look at uh, on the right hand side. Uh, I'm sorry, any menu item, and you look on the right hand side. The um, if there is a keyboard shortcut, the Mac operating system will show it on the side. So for instance, you click on the edit menu in any application, you look to the right hand side for the undo, what is the undo feature, rather than using your mouse you can use a keyboard shortcut. So undo would be something like control Z for instance. Um, uh, I feel like that alone is probably worth its salt um, to start using keyboard shortcuts. Um, again, believe it or not, that's actually something that developers, a lot more software developers than I would have expected um, that I've met and known and teach and taught. Mm, English, sorry. Uh, so, I tend to use the mouse heavily. Yeah, so, so speaking of keyboard shortcuts, does that mean you're a Vim fanatic where it advocates more use of keywords and, and, and everything and just typing rather than mouse gestures? Or are you, to use Sublime, uh, do you have an editor preference, use one over the other, to use one for something, or what's what are some productivity uh, advice there? Thanks, thanks. actually, really kind of uh, an insightful question. Um, I used to be really into Vim. I used to be really into Sublime. I used to be really into Atom. Um, and I used to be really into Emacs and kind of uh, went, have kind of been all over the board uh, teaching using Vim and teaching using Emacs is generally um, a lot more overhead than it's than it's worth uh, in teaching a class specifically about Angular um, and and on large part uh, other code. For instance, if we're teaching Clojure or teaching uh, Java, we'll end up we'll use something like Eclipse to teach that. In terms of um, software development for the web, um, I I actually cheat. Uh, I use Emacs and Vim. I use something called SpaceMax, and I've put that. I've included that in the uh, uh, in the link section um, that I believe we'll post up later uh, Space, today. SpaceMax. I just <laughs> I love that name now. <laughs> yeah, SpaceMax is a, it's fantastic. It uses um, the if you're used to them, SpaceMax will will be really SpaceX will also be I highly recommend it. Definitely check it out. That's cool. Um you know, are you, what's your mindset in terms of just speak, speaking still on the editor thing? Uh you know like Mark Mark Hardington who works for Ionic, he's like a big Vim user and he always talks me up about that making the investment as a developer and learning something uh, like Vim and, and Vim and shortcuts because that comes back to you. What, what are your thoughts on that versus other people think like, no, forget that. Just do whatever you're productive in today and don't bother. Um, so do, do you think it's worth the investment with some of these different editors? And I don't know how much with, with Space Max it's like that, but... For most of that question... Um, uh, I'm gonna just to try to preserve bandwidth. I'm gonna try drop, dropping out video. Let's see if that actually helps. Yeah, that's uh, fine. 
would you would you mind asking that question again? Um, you cut out for most of it. Sure. I, I my question was just whether you think uh, junior, junior developers are uh, people that haven't tried all these different editors. It's worth the investment to spend the time to learn all the keyboard shortcuts and everything like that uh, versus just don't even bother and uh, use the editor for how you're productive right today and not try to like learn everything. You know, I would say that's true about any and when you're learning anything. I think um, you know you don't learn how to build a sidewalk without pouring cement, but you might know what the what the best. I, I mean, I don't actually build sidewalks, so this is kind of a bad example. Um, you don't necessarily know how to ski until you get on skis. Um, and so I think getting on the bunny hill is way more important than picking out the right skis when you're do, when you're at ski rental, at a ski rental place. Um, so I think the if you're trying to learn web development and you're trying to learn software development today, I think that uh, whatever is going to get you the most productive is the right that's the right path. And I think uh, in addition to that, I think don't um, you know, don't worry about the what the about in the beginning stages worry about um, exact uh, getting something in your notepad. Just like when you go to write a blog post or when you go to write an email you're not necessarily concerned about the right words. You're just you're. In my suggestion would be just to get the the um, intent out. It's kind of the same thing. Okay, and then uh, you sort sort of different topic, uh, but still more in general learning. Uh, you know, you've written two books. Uh, actually, you might have written other ones as well that I I don't know about. But um, from a general sense. You know, there is a difference between like kind of book learning and kind of reading through uh, everything and then kind of getting your hands dirty and doing it yourself. What, what, do, what are your thoughts on the balance for when you are trying to learn something, you want to try to study and kind of read, read from books, books versus just doing it, just start a project even though you don't know anything and you kind of just run into issues? Well, I think that's one of the beauties of software development is you can't really uncouple all those. Um, I think uh, I, I think you learn best by doing um, as us as human beings like we learn to we learn really well when we um, are actually doing something and you'll learn things that we can't even necessarily teach um, at a high level uh, can really only learn certain things through through the experience of experiencing those. Now that being said, I think obviously me being an author, I have um, uh, I have some specific ideas about uh, the the um, benefits to learning both from people who have done it before, uh, as well as uh, understanding a deeper context as to what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and I think, you know, throughout time, I think probably like is it Gutenberg who invented the printing press? I think so. Uh, I think that's probably proven to be the most important, single most important of um, human invention ever is the is uh, the written word. And I think that that's how we 
uh, you know, for the human race entirely. So that being said, going way back, way from theory, uh, back into actually writing code, um, uh, I think there are certain things that you you that I can't teach you, and nobody can teach you to do. Um, and I think that there's, uh, I think that there's a benefit to. Uh, I think probably the best thing that you can do if you're trying to learn software development today is start writing code. Um, open a text editor and seriously type out hello world and do that in as many programming languages as you possibly can. Um, and you'll get a feel for what it's like for you, specifically, how you uh, write code. Uh, so if, yeah. that's, if that's the case, then, like, as you're... Uh, would you have a suggestion for like as people are reading a book, like one of yours or other ones, uh, you know whether they should be like doing a project while they're reading the book? Like I've seen that sometimes be effective. That like you kind of use the book to give you examples and ideas, but then you're you're actually doing your own project on the side, kind of in conjunction with that, and kind of learning as you're actually doing. Um, is, is it something like that, or do you have any other? Variations that that you have seen work, I guess. Right, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think you're probably, um, w if you have your own goal, that's probably the right thing that you want to be running after. So, um, uh, to repeat, to just make sure that um, uh, I'm answering the question that you asked. You asked if like, what is the right What's the best way to learn code? And I think the best way to learn code, especially if you're not if you're not in a class like Angular class or a full stack class, um, the best code is the code that you actually. The best way to learn code is the code that you actually write. And if what is going to motivate you is going to be the code that you write because you have a specific task that you're trying to get done or you're trying to accomplish, that's definitely the right approach to take. Now, granted, if you can learn, if you can take um, uh, if you're if you're motivated by completing uh, lessons and micro lessons that don't necessarily require you to have a larger project in uh, in mind, that totally works too. Getting uh, like I said, the best the best way you'll learn is by writing code. And if you're going to write code, uh, do what's like trick yourself or hack yourself, so to speak, into what is going to get you to actually write code. Personally, for me, having a side having a side project or a focus project, um, that's what's going to motivate me. And that ne may not necessarily now um, to to talk real quick about the book. We do um, we look really hard at uh, taking our couple years of experience and actually teaching live live uh, live classes on. How to actually write? How to write code? We take particularly hard a hard look at how we can actually do that. The how we can present our lessons the the way that we teach, not just the the how to, but also the fundamentals behind uh, behind it. I have one. Um, thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I was trailing on there. I had one thing I wanted to kind of chime in on as far as like back a while ago when we were talking about editors. I think um, for a lot of people, like whether you're maybe in school or boot camp or something, like you're going to start off a little bit slow. 
one thing that they did at my boot camp that I really liked, or my instructor did, is he had us using Vim on day one. So the first couple days where it was like kind of easy to, we're just like coding up templates and like very basic CSS, like trying to get everybody on the same page. But for the people that were already a little bit more experienced, like it was already challenging because he had us doing that. And like still to this day, I predominantly use them. I'll use um, like WebStorm or something if I'm doing a ton of refactoring for the like the productivity help there. But I don't know. I just thought what? that it was really good that they had us using both. Yeah, if you're gonna use, I mean, Vim is around for a reason, and there's a huge community around it. Um, I think that's a really good. I think that's really good. Uh, a really good suggestion. Um, as long as you were right, I mean, the difference is going to a boot camp is you were actually writing the code, and it probably didn't necessarily matter that you were using Vim or using Emacs. From a high-level perspective, I think the fact that you were writing code, um, even if you were writing it in WebStorm or you were writing it in RubyMine, uh, insert X editor here, um, the fact that you were writing it is the important part, and that's how I would, I would think that's actually how you learned it. Yeah, totally. I was just saying, like, it was it was all it was good because it made what I was already doing, like, what would typically be kind of beginner, it made it a little bit more challenging. So that was awesome. So speaking more about editors, what do you think of, of Angular 2's approach with TypeScript and advocating IntelliSense and, and auto-completion and um, just, like, the type safety in that, in that direction and the productivity from that? Right. Um, you, you know, I don't want to sort of flame more here between. Um, uh, I don't. I you know, I don't want to sort of flame more between um, types and uh, dynamic languages. Um, specifically, I uh, I like types. I think that types um, not only provide not only provide uh, safety, like compilation safety and runtime safety. Um, uh, types also are really good documentation for other for other developers. Um, if nothing else, dynamic documentation is really is a uh, that itself is worth its salt in using types. Um, when your compiler can tell you that you're actually that you're sending in a wrong type, that you get that error checking, you get that kind of safety from you kind of get that safety from, uh, uh, like I said, compilation time. Um, but I think the documentation, again, I can't, I don't know how many other ways to say types are fantastic for documentation purposes. Um, even writing a, like a JS doc at the top of a function is not going to give you the same type of documentation as simply just writing the type in you know, for TypeScript, writing the type in the inputs and the outputs. Um, for if you're using other, you know, C um, in your header file, like that itself is worth it. So it's it's interesting that you mention like documentation because a lot of people overlook this just because it's it's such a hassle previously to do it that they just end up not doing it. And that's like stylistic guides or or something. But with TypeScript, you actually can document and uh, generate uh, pretty much your whole code base. And the thing about about that is that previously, someone will be like, okay, let's make this style guide, and then they'll make it, and then 
then that's it. It's kind of outdated as soon as it's shipped. But with uh, something like TypeScript, you can automatically generate it, and it's always updated. So um, because this is like a, a lot of people will advocate this is like a huge productivity like gain and just being able to understand like in Grok your, your code base, especially when it gets larger, um, do you think like a lot more people will will understand or just rediscover like this like a lot of these IntelliSense and documentation generation and stuff from TypeScript, which is optional types? You know, um, there's we only get so many great revolutions um, per year, and I think probably in per time period. And I think software we're particularly lucky in the sense that we can constantly rediscover new, uh, you know, algorithms that have been around since the '70s, but we get really excited when we kind of rediscover them. I think probably. Um, I, I would have a hard time believing that it changes the face of software development. Um, I don't think it's necessarily comparable to mobile, which definitely changed the face of software development. I think the web, specifically, I think, is also um, doing its part in manipulating how we, what we think about code and who wants to write code and the accessibility of how we actually end up where we have so many different... Um, okay, well, I'm, I'm di I digress. Uh, coming back to the question, I think that types... Uh, I particularly am of the oak that I like I like types. Again, you had a really... You said it the, probably the best way is uh, rediscover your live documentation, your live documenting code. Um, I don't necessarily think that types themselves are going to revolutionize that. They've been around for kind of a long time, but I do think that the upper, the quote, upper echelon of software developers will be using types. Uh, quote, unquote, upper echelon of web developers will be using types to their advantage, and I think you can, even if you've never written a line of code today and you're listening to us on Angular Air, I think that you can um, put yourself into that, quote, unquote, upper echelon by using types and by using that as, uh, as Mr. JS uh, does a really good job of under of uh, of describing like that gives you that live that gives you that impressive uh, impressive documentation that other developers can help uh, write and author code. So the other thing is, is that typing also one one last thing about yeah. uh, typing unless you want to continue along you these lines it. is um, typing makes it really easy to test also. You're writing tests. You're, um, if you're writing a test to say, hey, this, you cut out like 50% of your code if you're writing tests to to govern what comes in and what goes out of your function. Yeah. So just briefly mention this is kind of off the rails, but like it's interesting you mentioned like the the rev the next revolution is mobile, but then like we hear that the next like hype thing is IoT. So. Um, and then, like, Google's making this push of saying, like, uh, native apps can't solve IoT. Actually, the web can. So uh, the web can. So, like, we just kind of went in this whole circle where we're going to native applications back to the web with IoT um, because it's more like casual interactions. Um, the example would be, like, you're just going so, Just to be clear, uh, yeah. IoT means Internet of Things. Yeah, sorry. In case you're unfamiliar with that. Yeah, so one what a, what a good example that they demonstrated is essentially 
you're going to see an event and you walk up to it and you have your phone with you and you're able to interact with the event through your application that you casually um, used because it's using the web. And that's kind of like the next push for, for Internet of Things. Um, so it's kind of interesting that we kind of went in the loop there. But this is like far beyond the productivity stuff. That's like another episode. Yeah, way to knock us off the rails. Amy, Amy you want to pull us back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I did. Oh man, I don't. I definitely want to respond to that. Oh though. yeah, we got it. We come up for another episode. <laughs> for like, oh, okay. That's such a. It's such an interesting topic. Okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> no, no, I, I actually want to hear hear you say. Uh. <laughs> um. Okay, uh, we'll do this real quick, and then maybe we'll have to come back and have another really fantastic discussion about um, software development revolution. I don't actually think that mobile is the next is the next big thing. I think that that's the, the current big thing. Uh, when you talk about Internet of Things, you're talking about uh, that's another way of saying that. You know, it's kind of like the feature phone way of saying this is. You, uh, when you describe a flip phone or when you describe a phone that doesn't, it's not a smartphone, uh, the telecom preferred term is feature phone. Um, and it's a feature phone is can also be said to be a dumb phone. I don't necessarily think, I think kind of in the same vein, uh, web, I'm sorry, um, uh, web development is kind of, uh, sorry, Internet of Things is kind of like a um, really, really, a uh, cool buzzword term for saying uh, uh, connected devices. That's the point I was trying to make there. And I also do think that the phone ne might not necessarily be the the right or the next interface. Um, you know, we have things like Apple TV coming out, and we have uh, quote unquote connected refrigerators, and we don't necessarily need to know who you are because you have your phone in your pocket. And I think that we. Um, I think that probably the quote-unquote next revolution that comes, that comes whatever that might be, doesn't isn't necessarily going to be the device that we look at today, the the mobile the mobile screen. Um, it might not actually be the Apple Watch either. I'm not sure what it is. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't tell you guys, and I would just capitalize on it. <laughs> uh, you know, be like the 27-year-old billionaire in 50. Shades of Grey, which was a terrible movie, by the way. Is it? Can we do not picks? <laughs> Don't waste your time. Okay. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I'm gonna go back to my question. <laughs> um, okay. So, like everybody talks about uh, TypeScript and how much it helps productivity for your teams, but uh, another question I had is, do you have any? Um, like favorite lynching or style guide tips that teams could use? I guess, you know, maybe they're helpful if you're just writing by yourself. Probably not so much, but <laughs> um, just for large teams or in addition to like linting and style guide stuff, uh, if you're like working on a new code base, any specific um, like favorite ways you like to go about refactoring? Well, those well, are two really good questions. I'll, tr I'll make the first one really short, the first answer, uh, or the first question. My answer to that, uh, uh, Airbnb has a fantastic ESLint. I use ESLint. Um, Airbnb has a fantastic ESLint um, configuration. 
that's the best thing I can say. Just download if you use ESLint. Um, uh, seriously, just download the Airbnb ESLint configuration and go with that. It's really fantastic. Um, how do I? How do you go about refactoring? Um, I guess it depends on why. Well, I, I should have added one other thing in there. So the reason I'm asking these questions for context is, um, like, I feel like the larger your team gets, the slower you get, like, you get less productive. Because, like, first off, if you don't have a solid style guide or solid linting, um, like, your code reviews can get taken up by, like, these little tiny nitpicky things. And then my comment on refactoring, same thing. Like, if you just kind of if you're incurring tech debt along the way and not constantly refactoring the code, then that slows down your productivity too. So that's that's context where my questions are coming from. I see. I see. Well, how big are your teams when you uh, say... I would say anybody. I mean, anywhere, I, I don't know. For me, like the team I'm on at work, um, we have like probably one team of 10 developers and we're all working within the same code base. Um, but I'm sure your mileage could vary. That could be like a larger team, smaller team. That's kind of a large team. So. Well, I think it's really easy to maintain um, speed when you're working with one other person, maybe two other people at tops. I think once you get beyond that, I think um, if you're working with a team of four or more, then you start losing. You definitely start losing that productivity that Amy or you're talking about. I think um, if, you, if you're if you on a team of four or more, uh, talk to your manager. <laughs> talk to the person who's leading your uh, who's, who's architecting your teams and change that. You can do, you can use different tools. Like, I, I, I guess I should um, decorate that with the comment that you can use different tools to keep your code looking similar. You can use a common syntax and you can use, you know, TypeScript is, as we kind of were talking a little bit about, TypeScript itself can do a lot of that for you. It can help keep that documentation um, uh, updated. Uh, it can help communicate both to other developers and to the um, compiled, compiled code, so to speak, where your code is actually running. Uh, TypeScript can do that for you, but I don't think you're going to get away from I don't think that tools are going to mask or hide the fact that we have, you know, when you have one brain working on one thing, you know exactly where everything is, and as soon as you get two, then you have to have a index <laughs> where to look for things. I don't think co I, that's a larger issue than the tools that you use. So, so Ari, speaking of teams, how would you say? Like developing, say, like a monolithic application, how would you divide the team? Would you, would you say that you gain more productivity with a component-based architecture, where you could say this part of the web page is owned by this team and this part by this team? And how do you, how do you deal with like sharing components? Like, how does that work um, with like multiple teams? Like, do you have any like productivity or insights uh, dealing with that? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I also think you kind of answered that. Um, you kind of answered it in your uh, the way you phrased your question. I think the web components. One of the really awesome things about the where we are in software development today versus where we were a year ago or the year before, 
um, is the fact that we do have these components. And components is another way of looking at components is it's an API. Like um, I think the natural division, and I can't answer this for everybody. This is a question that really depends. Uh, this is a question that really depends um, specifically on what you're doing and, and the code that you're working on. I'm sorry, the um, the technology, the 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 um, problem that you're trying to solve. I think I can't just give you the best thing to do in that case. It's really it really matters about what you're doing. The specifics do matter in that case. Um, I think. that other other developers can consume um, whether it be components be web components um, or if it's microservices such as you're running you know divide your teams along the idea of running microservices where one team is responsible for the login and authentication front-end and back-end um, another team is responsible for the um, if we're talking about like Google Hangouts, another team is responsible for the transportation of bits to do, you know, WebRTC. Uh, I think the division happens where those APIs can be presented. All right, I want to uh, make sure we cover a couple things for um, in both of your books actually. So let's uh, hit up a couple questions for NG Book One and then NG Book Two. Um, for NG Book One. Uh, it's obviously pretty baked at this point. Um, you've been around uh, for a couple of years now, and I know you've done a number of revisions. Is there something within uh, NGBook One that you've gotten feedback from people as is kind of consistently, you know, uh, you know, a good tips, like something that you would want to share with everyone here that uh, other people have found useful from that first book that you did? Yeah. Uh, um... Well, it's not the first book that I've written, um, but it's the first like major undertaking. Uh, um, yeah, I think uh, components and testing are we consistently get feedback that um, Angular One has really good modular architecture, uh, and components is probably that's too far. Uh, another way of saying that is having the modular architecture. When you we we the teams that we work with when we do teach and the, the when we do teach um, Angular Live and when we, actually and when we teach it um, through video and not live too, uh, modular architecture really helps. That that um, Angular One does a really good job of helping separate those concerns. And I think the other the other thing that we constantly get is testing. Um, testing helps. Every team ever be confident and write better code. Specifically with Angular One, testing requires you to understand what's going on under the hood. So whether or not you end up actually writing code or not, understanding how Angular works is is a huge benefit uh, to learning how to write Angular One code and learning what what you're actually writing and why you're actually writing it. And how again how it works. So there's usually um, the typical thing that 
the way people think about it is that Angular 1 is pretty easy to get started with, but then there's like these common pitfalls, like, uh, you know, that you deal with like little quirks with scope or uh, performance issues with, you know, nested engine repeats and that type of thing. So uh, to what degree, like what approach do you take in your um, ng book 1 uh, of how to avoid those common pitfalls um, and, you know, make, make sure that you not only are able to get started fast, but then, you know, when you build your app for real, that uh, it is performing and it, it is well encapsulated and all that. Ah, uh, right. Um, well, uh, I, the digest loop is at the center of performance in, in Angular 1. And I think um, we we do... Um, we take a lot of care with... Uh, in NG Book 1 of describing exactly how the... Um, describing how the actual... Uh, Digest loop works, and I think um, don't use templates or don't. I'm sorry, don't use filters in Angular is probably one of the best things in Angular one. That's probably one of the best things that I can say. Filters run a lot and they hammer your digest loop. Um, and one-time bindings. The more the more bidirectional bindings in Angular one that you have, the slower that your code is going to run. And so whatever you can do that, whatever you can do to avoid uh, bidirectional bindings. Uh, Angular 1.3, I don't remember actually what version introduced one-time bindings. Um, definitely use one-time bindings if you can. Um, if you can upgrade your, your code if you're using anything before. I think it is 1.3. If you can update upgrade your code um, to at least using Angular 1.3, then you get those one-time bindings. If you can't do that, there's um, there's libraries out there that will help you do that and will unlink um, bidirectional bindings for you. Um, and use if you're going to use a filter, use that filter before the code your code gets presented to the screen. Um, if you can, oh, one other quick tip. Um, if you can, uh, immutable JS is really good for. Um, uh, that's helped us. That's helped me quite a bit. Um, speed up my code um, in Angular one and Angular two, and React for that matter, and Polymer, and pretty much immutable JS has helped me across the board. Also, so, I'm kind can of a you, actually. Can you get into that really quickly for a little bit? Because um, I'm not sure. If most people are familiar with how, I mean, so in, in Angular 2, it's obviously kind of a, an option within change detection to use something like immutable JS and it kind of fits in. Um, but with Angular 1, how exactly um, do you usually use that? Like, if you are using immutable JS, how do you um, work with the dirty checking to make sure that it uh, only checks when the immutable object is updated correctly? Sure. Um... I generally tend, uh, the the code that I need to be more performant than others is I generally tend not to send that type, sorry, not to send um, variable variables into the view until I've done that dirty checking myself. Um, uh, so I generally, what I'll do is I'll keep two different layers uh, of variables. I'll keep my own 
my own layer of variables that all do that, like I said, all do that dirty checking, which helps prevent the entire digest loop running. And when you're only looking at a slice of the data that you're wor that you're concerned about, and where you have performance issues, incurring the cost of you own of you doing that custom dirty checking yourself is um, far overshadowed by the uh, speed at which you get that you can do it yourself. Uh, as opposed to having um, Angular run through every single change that it possibly can run through, if that makes sense, if that helps. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. Like you're saying that uh, you know you're sort of manually setting what gets pushed to the view because you're you're handling through immutable the changes within you know the application layer, um, but then not not depending on dirty checking to update the view. Like you you manually say, okay, this is updated now. Push this out. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Like if you have 10,000, for instance, if you have 10,000 um, bindings on a page and you're only changing 100 of them, doing 100 checks um, anytime anything changes uh, is going to be a 10x speed up from 1,000 checks or 10,000 checks or I suppose 10,000 divided by 100, it's 100x. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, so doing your doing your own um, dirty checking, I think, is if you're only going to update certain parts of the page and you're only going to worry about the things that uh, you know an API response that comes in, and you're not actually updating your ten thousand rows, which I'd, I would argue is a very very rare case, other than on initial load. I think doing your own dirty checking is going to do it, make it really quick. Your application, it's gonna, you're going to get a lot of speed up from that. I use, particularly, I use Immutable JS because it helps enforce that for myself. It helps enforce that that dirty checking. Oh, I'm sorry, um, the custom dirty checking, uh, and you can push out whether or not you end up using Immutable or not. You can push out uh, your own changes by just updating, just sending raw JavaScript objects back to the view. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, let's let's transition and talk to you about ng uh, book two. Uh, the first thing I actually was really interested in knowing is that uh, you know you, you're writing this when ng book or uh, sorry Angular two is in alpha, uh, which had to be a challenge because of all of the changes that were going on while you were writing it. Like how how difficult did that make things uh, to kind of write a book about something that like the ground was shifting underneath you. I can't, I can tell you it's probably one of the hardest things in the world to write, to try to, you know, build the airplane while you're flying it type of thing. Um, we've gone through major rewrites of the book. And we've had to change chapters, we've had to change, we've had to change definitions um, that we use across, across the book entirely. It is not an easy task to keep updated with the um, shifting technology, uh, as you say. How do we write the book in alpha while it's in beta? I think that I think beta is probably the best thing that possibly could have ever been announced for us because it gives us at least there are things that we know now that are not going to change or are going to change only in minor ways. Writing documentation is hard. 
it's hard to keep it updated. And we try, like I said, we try to do our best to keep it as updated as possible. Um, yeah, I think probably the another one other thing that's really helped us is uh, reading the Angular 2 source. I think that is really good. Um, there are some things that, you know, we you can look at and say that's not going to change, so we'll write. And, of course, then it does, like, two weeks later. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just like software development. Like we, I think everything that everything that I do as a software developer, um, writing a book, other than the fact that I have to use English and master types, so to speak, in, in you know, this is a verb, this is a noun. Uh, software development is pretty similar in the sense that you just everything is constantly changing. Okay, that's way too way too meta. I'll rephrase. It's hard. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, and I noticed that you guys built an application that you use for examples throughout the book. Um, that that application is actually pretty cool. Do uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of your approach within this book? Um, about what the application that we're building, or I'm not. I'm not sure I understand. With with some of the examples within the book, they're based off of you know you had to actually write write the code. Uh, oh, I see. You know, and, and so I my my question was, uh, if you want to talk about you know, just, just uh, either the your your approach in general, I guess even taking a, a broader sense of uh, with this book and how to teach people Angular 2, like how have you um, found that there are certain themes that you want to emphasize that you, you were trying to get across? I see. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that... Um, so uh, what Jeff is saying uh, is we use a, we use a large... Um, we think is at least a large-scale enough application in the book. Um, a large scale enough so that, so that you can't cover it in a single chapter even though we try we try to make it, we try to kind of not necessarily minimize, that's not the right word, we try to use it as a core theme, as a thread across the different chapters so that by the time that you, we get done with the book uh, you have a complete relatively complex enough um, application to give uh, um, to give context about the different components that we're working through in the book. So, for instance, we have um, the way that we use uh, like built-in directives that you get from Angular 2. We use those built-in directives in the built-in directive chapter to discuss what uh, the app, how the application is using those built-in directives. So that by uh, by the time that we get to testing, we're still using that same large application, uh, example application, to after after using those built-in types to be able to test uh, how your application responds using that same using that same uh, complex application. 
and I think I think um, from a ten thousand foot view, um, coming back, wrapping back into our entire first discussion, we were talking about like what the right way to get to write code is. Um, Um, am I still connected? Okay, cool. Uh, if you have a really high-level approach to something that you want to get done, um, uh, that's a good way of motivating yourself to continue writing software. We're uh, running a little bit out of time, so one last question before we get to picks. Um, and that's just basically if you... there's any, I know that, given what we were saying, you'll probably rewrite the entire book uh, before... It's uh, fully published, even though it's still in it's uh, already beta. But is there something, any uh, tips within the book that we haven't talked about? Uh, NG Book Two, this is um, that you want to share. Um, it's that's tough to answer that. <laughs> it's tough to answer that uh, because the book, the the framework itself is still in beta, and the book itself is following along in that. So I think. I think, um, as I wrote in a post kind of last week, kind of like the State of the Union, so to speak, for Angular, why you should use Angular 2, I think uh, the, um, the public API of using components is really like fundamental to the understanding to why you would use Angular 2. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Understanding the component-based architecture of Angular 2 is only going to make you a better software developer, even if you're not going to end up using Angular 2. Um, so the high-level interface of using the um, of using the decorator syntax that Angular 2 uh, is built across, um, I think that's probably the best thing that you can do for yourself as Angular 2 kind of transitions as a software developer, as Angular 2 transitions away from beta into, into 1x, um, or GA is a better term for that, um, the best thing that you can possibly do for yourself as a software developer is, is uh, again, use the public API that we know is not going to change, using com the component and directive it's kind of the same core things that you learn in Angular 1, like understanding how those interact with each other um, is probably the best thing that you can do for yourself to bulletproof your worth as a software developer for tomorrow. Does that help? Cool. Is, that, is that a good... I hope, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Let's... Uh, get to picks, uh, but before that, just really quick uh, announcements again, that uh, next Tuesday, the 29th, is our predictions show that um, we're going to give our uh, predictions from the panel of what, what's going to happen with Angular in 2016, and then on the 5th, right after New Year's, uh, we're going to have a show on um, with Wesley, uh, Wesley Cho and Jesus Rodriguez about how to become an open source contributor, so definitely uh, tune into that. For picks, let's get started with Amy. Okay, so I've been meaning to pick this for a long time, but I really like the Auth0 blog for um, just like these little tiny tutorials. There's a ton on there um, for Angular, so that's my pick. Cool, Patrick. 
Mine is Webpack. Everyone should be using Webpack. Short and simple. That's great. Uh, I have two picks. One is Track.js. I don't think I've picked it before, but uh, Todd Gardner, who's a great guy, a friend uh, I've met a number of times, he created an awesome product for error tracking, and uh, you should definitely check that out. And then the other thing is last week on Thursday we did our Star Wars episode, and I'm going to put a link it to one specific part of that that I especially enjoyed when I was uh, kind of watching it back when uh, Kyle, uh, we had a, my friend and movie director Kyle Newman on, on the line, and his wife, who's an actress, Jamie King, uh, jumped in and gave her thoughts about Star Wars, and it was very philosophical, and it was actually really great. Uh, so I'm going to give a link directly to that part of the video that uh, it was only like a five-minute segment or something like that, but it was uh, really good. Uh, Ari, why don't you give us your picks? Okay, I have two as well. hope that's cool. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, Space Max um, is awesome, totally awesome. Uh, Amy likes using Vim, um, and she gave her... Okay, so Space Max, I'm not going to elaborate more on that. It's awesome, awesome. At least try it. Um, and at least try it. And then the second um, pick that I have is something called Design Code. It was written by uh, this guy named Meng Tao. It is is super awesome. It's uh, his design section, but uh, Design Code is all about building um, mobile apps using uh, Swift, Objective C, and specifically targeting the iPhone. But his design section is fantastic. He gives great design tips. And even if you don't end up using it for building a mobile app. Oh, it's so good. He's got he's got a great eye. Cool. Thanks a lot, Ari, for joining us. It was really awesome. And uh, is there anywhere that people can go to buy NGBook 2 now, or is it still kind of in a holding pattern until um, Angular goes into full release? I am so glad you asked that question, because I um, am uh, Putting together a discount code um, that I'll get, I can send you, uh, Jeff, uh, when this episode is done, so we can put it in our links. Um, we'll we'll make this, you know, uh, specifically uh, for listeners for uh, this episode. So as I said, I'll send it to you as soon as I'm, as soon as we're done. Perfect. So we'll uh, yeah, and just to note on that, uh, some people had asked about this after the last show. Uh, we are going to start putting links in the website. We usually put them on the Google Plus page, but uh, starting this week we'll put them on the website, so we'll have that discount code up there and for anybody who's interested in getting Ari's new book. Great. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and see you next week. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Bye.